This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 131. And the quote of the day is from Confucius, who said, The man who moves a mountain begins by carrying away small stones. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast, home of in-depth interviews with the world's greatest drummers and industry professionals. Information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And this session is sponsored by Promark, makers of the Select Balance. Select Balance is a new way of building, typing, and choosing drumsticks. You can choose the length, balance point, taper, tip, and material to create the perfect stick for you using the Select Balance system, only from Promark. Be sure to check them out today at Promark.com. This podcast is also free thanks to the good folks at DW Drums. And as you know, I've been playing DW Drums for years, not only because they make great handcrafted drums, but also because they support and foster drumming initiatives all over the world, much like this podcast. Pay them a visit today at DWDrums.com. Are you banging your head against the wall trying to figure out how to grow your social audience? Do you want to know how to implement and master the tools used by top drummers? If so, check out the Drummer's Resource Drummer Social Media Bootcamp. With over 10 hours of training, this bootcamp will help you get more gigs, fans, students, and opportunities by learning easy-to-implement strategies and techniques you can use immediately. Check it out at drummersresource.com forward slash training. I guarantee you'll be glad that you did. That's drummersresource.com forward slash training. Now, the interview I have today is one that I've been looking forward to for a very long time, and I've gotten tons and tons of emails from you guys and girls asking me to get him on the podcast, and I'm super excited to have Antonio Sanchez. And for those of you who don't know about Antonio, he has won Grammy Awards, he's played with everybody under the sun. He's written scores for major motion pictures. I mean, this guy has been on the cover of Modern Drummer Magazine, not once, but twice. So you can understand why I really wanted to have him on the podcast. And this interview is great because we talk a lot about musicality, how to develop musical ideas, how to move around the kit and and how to not just play sporadically, but actually make it a cohesive thought process of what you're playing to make sure that you're that you're not just playing a bunch of licks and a bunch of nonsense on the kit. And we get into a bunch of other things about the the controversy with Birdman and, and all sorts of things. So it's a really great interview and I'm just super stoked to have him here. So let's get into this with Mr. Antonio Sanchez. Antonio, what's going on, man? Thank you so much for doing this. Thanks for having me, Nick. It's a pleasure, man. Absolutely. So I, I told you off air, I've been, I've definitely been wanting to get you on the podcast for a while, and I get inundated with emails uh, about getting you on the podcast as well. So it's a pleasure to have you, and I thank you for for taking your time out of your busy schedule to, to sit and chat with me today, man. Really appreciate it. Oh, man, thank you. I was looking forward to it, you know. Um, heard a lot about the podcast and 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 I'm gonna have to check it out. And I'm, I'm I'm ashamed to say that I I haven't, but but I will of course. Hey, you know, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of material out there to check out, and I think everybody's sort of overwhelmed with how much how there much is. stuff is out there. So I'm <laughs> thankful for, for if one person listens to the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, man, check it out at at your leisure and let me know what you think of it. The good one would be would be to check out the uh, the Antonio Sanchez podcast. I think it's going to I think <laughs> it's going to be a good one. Probably that's the only one I won't check. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> there's nothing more self serving and annoying than sitting around listening to yourself talk all day. Yeah. So. And I just did a a, a a clinic tour with Yamaha like for ten days, so I'm really tired of hearing myself talking. Right, That's for sure. <laughs> All right. for you, I'll make an exception. Though. I appreciate it. And I know the listeners do as well. So for the listeners that are out there who don't know who you are, first of all, they should they should be ashamed of themselves for not knowing who you are. But just tell tell everybody a little bit about who you are, uh, where you come from and, and what you do. Well, uh, we started right from the beginning. I'm, uh, I'm originally from Mexico City. I was born and raised there. I started um, playing drums when I was five. And um, some of my early influences were basically the, the, the bands that my mother used to listen to. I mean, she still listens to them. My mom, my mom she's a rocker at heart. She's from the Woodstock generation. So a lot of uh, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, Santana, Jimi Hendrix, The Who, 
you know, all these great bands. Those were the first bands I ever listened to. And, and those were my first musical um, inklings, you know, trying to play along to, to some of those albums. And then little by little, I discovered, you know, other bands like Led Zeppelin, Rush, The Police, of course, you know, bands that, that any drummer gravitates to at some point. And, um, and then from there, I, I started getting really interested in, in, uh, in jazz because I, I was in the conservatory uh, in Mexico studying classical piano uh, as well. You know, I was always practicing drums and playing drums, but I got myself into really trying to study uh, classical piano as best as I could. I was taking it really seriously, but they, they had um, an ongoing jazz workshop there. And I used to go and hang out with uh, people and listen to the big band and the small combos. And I started getting interested in that. And little by little, you know, I, I started playing some uh, jazz, some Latin jazz. Then I moved to uh, Boston in 1993 to go to Berklee College of Music to study jazz uh, uh, performance. And I've, I've always been composing and arranging and, and playing with a bunch of different bands. And uh, after I was done with Berkeley, 1997, I started playing with uh, Paquito de Rivera, with Danilo Perez, with David Sanchez. It was my uh, mostly Latin jazz, or like Danilo used to call it, jazz Latin, because it, it was mostly jazz with with, an, with a Latin tinge. And then uh, after that, I, I met Pat Metheny, and then I started working with him in 2000. And um, I've been working with him for... 15 years and since then I've worked with uh, Chick Corea, Michael Brecker, Gary Burton, Charlie Hayden, Tutu Tillmans, Joshua Redman, Patty Tucci, uh, I don't know, a bunch of people. And then the last thing uh, I've done that, you know, people have been talking about mostly for the last few months is uh, the, the Birdman soundtrack that got the Academy Award for Best Movie, Best Director, Best original screenplay and best cinematography. So that's pretty cool to be in there. Which is awesome. And, you know, before I, before every guest I have, I obviously do more research on them to make sure that I understand the breadth of, of their work. And the one thing that amazed me, I've already, I've known, you know, that you've been playing with Pat and, and all these other people. But then I started really doing some research on it. I was like, man, I didn't know he did this. And then did this and did this. it's just, and so congratulations to you on, on a story career so far. And I know you have so many more things that are going to happen in the future, but man, you have, you have amassed uh, quite the resume over the years, man, which is very impressive. Oh, thank you, man. And, and, you know, lately what I've been trying to do is uh, step into the band leading arena. And uh, I've, have five records under my own name and uh, uh, that's what I've been doing for the last um, year just my band uh, since we stopped uh, touring with Pat last year I've been just concentrating on my band I put out two two new records almost simultaneously as Birdman came out so that kind of helped me to to push a little more even and and start uh, going out with my band and, and tour a bunch mm-hmm. so it's been great so far that's awesome, and I know that with the with the Birdman stuff that there was there was some controversy uh, that was going on. And I, it was sort of like running around on the on the internet with the with the mm-hmm. soundtrack and, and things like that. Can you talk about what happened with that? Yeah, um, what happened is, you know, I <laughs> this is funny because the day the score got nominated for for the Golden Globe, we got a letter from the Academy. Um, of arts and sciences, AKA the Oscars saying that we were ineligible because they thought there was more pre-recorded music than original music. And it's supposed to be more than 50% original music versus the, the uh, incidental music. So that sounded really weird to us. We did a recount and we came out winning by a lot. So we thought, okay, it's just just a technicality. So we're just going to appeal it, and then it's going to be fine. So that's what we did. And then they came back with another reason, saying that uh, the original score was too diluted by the incidental music. So in the beginning, it was a technicality. And then when the technicality, the technicality was resolved, then they decided it was something else. So the whole thing was pretty sketchy to me. Uh, but to be honest, it, I think it helped more than it hurt because 
one trend that I noticed in all the award uh, season circuit thing that I did, which, you know, was completely foreign to me, you know, as a jazz musician, you are in the least glamorous, you know, part of, of the music industry nowadays. Right. And all of a sudden I'm in Hollywood and red carpets and stuff. So it, it was like completely bizarre, a very bizarre experience. It was cool. Uh, but what I started noticing was that the score would get nominated a lot, but when it was time to actually award it, uh, it would, they were like, oh, yeah, it's really cool to nominate it because it's so different and, and so risky, but uh, I don't think we're going to actually award it. Let's award it to, let's award the, the thing to, you know, the orchestral, same status quo stuff that is right. always happening in Hollywood, you know, except for a couple. Uh, awards that 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 they actually gave me, but I noticed that was the trend. So I love the fact that you can take something like that and you say, you know what, this is a negative, but I'm going to look at the the positive side of things. And hey, man, you got to, you know, you got nominated, like you said, you went to Hollywood, you did all of that stuff too. Which, hey, to me is is a positive. So you got to look oh, at yeah. the, the no, positives and, out of that. And actually, you know, it was I think it's a blessing in disguise because I don't think the score would have won even if it would have gotten nominated for the Oscars. Right. But the controversy just completely catapulted it to a uh, different category. Right. So more people were talking about it because it got disqualified than probably they would have talked about because it would have gotten nominated. Sure, sure. That's interesting. So what what it, you know, part of the podcast that I like to talk about is some failures that people go through and things that people struggle with. And not necessarily that this was a failure, but I'm sure that it was kind of, you know, a kick to the stomach saying, oh man, you know, they're going to disqualify this thing. So what advice do you have for people that, that have certain things that they may stumble or they may fall of how they can sort of recover from that and, and stay on that path of being positive and, and looking at the positives of it? Yeah. I mean, I, I tend to get really down when, when bad stuff happens, you know, it's normal. Uh, but, you know, I think if you let it, breathe you let it rest for a little bit you usually find some kind of silver lining Mm -hmm. the the important thing is to not completely veer away from what you were doing you know and 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 just try to take whatever it is that you were able to learn and then apply it to the next thing you know i mean to me that kind of setback was very relative because to begin with to award or reward art it's so subjective and relative, you know, it's like if you go to a drum competition and you don't win, you know, maybe you're a jazz guy and the guy who won was a rock guy, you know, so it's mm-hmm. completely subjective. Right. If, uh, if we all played the same uh, repertoire and, and that's what we were being uh, graded on, then it would be different. But if anybody can play an open drum solo, and, you know, it's just, you know, too, too wide uh, in order for you to, to be able to actually judge it in an objective uh, way. So it, we have to keep that in mind always, mm-hmm. that, that art, com- art competitions are completely subjective. So we, right. you cannot get too encouraged by it or too discouraged by it. Mm-hmm. And you always get the, you know, the, the question of, oh, who's the best drummer in the world? It's like, there's not there's no way that anyone can ever answer that question. So like you said, the competition within art, you know, if you look at sports, you can tell who the greatest basketball player was or who the greatest baseball player was by the numbers. Yeah, exactly. But looking at, looking at art, it's so hard that, that you do got to keep that open mind of saying, okay, well, they may think that this drum solo was the best, but somebody else may, may not think the same way, you know? Yeah. But of course, you know, it's, it's hard when you're young and you're um, impressionable and you're insecure about your abilities. Mm-hmm. That's, that's very uh, common, you know, right. that you might, might think as well, you know, people are not digging me people. And, and the thing is music is so personal that when they don't dig your music or don't they dig your playing, you feel like they don't dig you as a person. Right. You know, which is also not true, but it's hard to think that way. So, uh, you know, it's easier to develop a thicker skin once you've achieved some things in your career, of course. Sure. Uh, in the beginning, any kind of rejection, uh, you, you don't take it well. And, and that's normal. But all, all I can say is, man, just, just be patient and keep at it. It's part of paying your dues, man. We've all been there and been all, you know, 
gotten yelled at and, and walked off stage with our tail between our legs or, or, you know, played and somebody kind of looked at it and said, Hey man, that's, that's not happening. You better go back to the, better go back to the woodshed and, and work on that or whatever the case may be. But that's, that's all part of this journey. You know, that's, that's, that's what we're here for. And those experiences are usually the, the more useful ones. If everything you do goes amazingly well, you know, that, that's, right. that's, not so great, actually. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good to 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 trip and stumble and and uh, and so so that you know that there's more stuff that you can work towards. You know? mm-hmm. Speaking of of stumbling and and struggling with with certain things, what are some things that you struggle with? Maybe in your in your playing or or just daily? Because I know it's easy for you know for the listeners to look at somebody like you. You've been on the cover of Modern Drummer twice. You've won Grammy awards. You've done all of these things, and they say, "Yo, well, of course, you know, he's not, he doesn't struggle with anything because he's Antonio Sanchez, but everybody struggles with things, uh, you know, inside of their playing or, or inside of maybe some of their daily habits and, and things like that. So what are some things that, that you're sort of working on now and trying to work out the kinks of? Uh, well, I, I always strive to be a better musician, you know, I mean, uh, it's funny because I, like I was telling you, I just did this, um, Yamaha clinic tour, mm-hmm. um, and the first thing I always ask in clinics is, how many drummers do we have in the house? You know, and usually 90% of the people raise their hand. And then I said, okay, and now how many real musicians do we have in the house? And they, they start laughing and only like, you know, a, th- a, a fourth of the people raise their hands. Right. So I usually go like, okay, see, that's the problem. That drummers a lot of times don't consider themselves musicians. And a lot of people don't consider drummers musicians. Right. Why? Because a lot of times we don't know music. We know drums, but we don't know music. So uh, one thing I, I'm always striving for is to be a better musician, to understand music as a whole better so that I can interpret it better uh, and I can really get inside. You know, when you only know so much, then you're only going to be able to interpret music and perform it at a more shallow level you want to get uh, music is like an onion you know the deeper you get the more uh layers you start peeling the the better you're gonna sound Mm -hmm. you know so so that's one thing i'm always striving for it's like an actor that really has to understand his his character right you know how how can i make this character the best i can for this particular project or recording or or whatever you know You, you have to be wearing a bunch of different hats as well sure so now I'd like to unpack that just a little bit about really understanding music more and working on your musicality. And, you know, obviously listening to, to more music is something that you can do. And I know that you, you know, you play piano. What do you, would you play other instruments as well? Uh, no, I mean, I, play, I dabbled on percussion a little bit, but um, piano was always uh, the, the king for me. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's another thing I, I always tell people, you know, other drummers. That if there's one instrument they're going to pick to complete their musical uh, roundness and, and education, I think piano would, should definitely be, be the one. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So if drummers out there who don't play piano, what are some, way, some other ways that you suggest that they sort of work on their musicality? The, the, and the reason why I'm asking, the reason why I want to dig down so far is because I'm all about... I'm all about the how and not necessarily the what. So if we're talking about, you know, practicing, I'm not, I'm less interested in knowing the things that you practice, but more the systematic ways behind the way that you practice so that people can get the most, the most out of their practice time, or if they're working on their musicality, how they can get the most out of the time that they're putting into that. You know, practicing is such a a deep question. And uh, usually when I do clinics, that's what I tell people, you know, I think drummers tend to practice a lot of really cool, fancy stuff that ends up being a little useless. Right. You know, so I've had kids come up to me like, oh, man, have you checked out such and such um, method where you play, you know, in 17 with one hand and then in 15 with the other one and then you play the, the left foot clave and then you play it like a samba pattern on the bass drum and then you sing <laughs> happy birthday at a different tempo. I do, man, the, I do that in my gig. All the, That's like, that's my thing. That's my exactly. shit. So, so I, I, I always say to that, okay, so how are you going to play that later tonight in your little gig in, in that restaurant where you play? Right, right. <laughs> you know, or in your rock band or whatever. So 
my my first piece of advice to to those guys is like okay if you are let's say I, i'm a jazz musician right i consider myself a jazz musician so as a jazz musician what do i need to know what are the things the basic things that i cannot do without and those are i have to know material i have to know standards mm -hmm. I, i should know the melodies of the standards because that will help you know the form of the standards you should be very familiar with the form Uh, you should be able to solo over the form. You should be able to sing the form. You should be able to solo while you sing the form. You mm -hmm. should be able to sing the form and solo something else besides the melody. Uh, you should be able to uh, trade choruses. You should be able to trade uh, fours, eights, sixteens. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 you should be able to solo over a vamp. You know, so those are basic things that you, if you're a jazz musician, you cannot not know. Right. You, know, you just have to know them. Mm -hmm. So why waste time practicing a bunch of, uh, you know, completely untangible stuff that you can't really apply? Why can you set the metronome, you know, and start doing all the things you are right you you start singing all the things you are while you have the metronome in two and four and you are singing the melody you're hearing the harmony i think one of the best sources to go to for standards is frank sinatra you know that mm -hmm. guy sing them so uh if you learn standards that way it's great instead of learning it you know through i don't know through through instrumentalists that only play the melody don't sing it obviously right right you know, so that that is really helpful and uh so what i say is try to practice everything you do in a musical way so that it's already you're already thinking about music you're not thinking drums you're right. thinking about music you're thinking about tempo you're thinking about feel you're thinking about touch you're thinking about sound uh all those things that you are actually going to have to apply you know at, sure. at your gig um so I think a lot of kids that that practice, you know, seven, eight hours a day to to do all this amazingly complex things, then they sound like crap on the gig because right. they they only know how to do that by themselves. And then when uh, you uh, put a band in front of them, they just don't know what to do with it. It's a topic that comes up a lot on the podcast too. Is that you know some of the cats out there, the facility is amazing. You know, like some of the stuff that they're doing is just insane but you know at the same time how you can't use it on the gig and it's it's so sensationalized on youtube that there has to you know that's why i always try to like okay that stuff's out there but let's talk about your employable skills and the stuff that that's really going to help you get the gig or keep the gig or make you sound good at the gig you know right and and that's another thing that i i i tell kids at my clinics you know like okay so sometimes i go to see drummers i'm not going to mention names but i've seen clinics where the first minute i go like oh my god this guy is the best thing that ever happened to mankind and i'm gonna burn my drums as soon as i get home and then after five minutes i'm like oh my god this guy is so annoying i'm gonna burn his drums the first minute i can you know uh, because there's just no musicality there's no storytelling and it's right. just regurgitating fancy licks that that he's been practicing for years and years right right and and believe me i'm totally for technique i'm not against technique one bit because technique is what you will need in order for you to express your musical ideas mm -hmm. So I'm uh, as much against people that use technique just for the sake of technique and flashiness. And I'm also really against people with no technique that they say, oh, I'm just going to play super musical. Right, you know? right. But they say that because they can't play anything else. You know, you, they cannot play fast or they cannot play a, uh, you know, a fast uh, roll over, over the toms, you know, which you should also be able to do because you, and when you need it, you will want to be able to do it. Right. You know, the thing is when to do it and when not to do it. That to me is the key. You mm -hmm. should have like this amazing, powerful technique at your disposal, but you should only use it. You should be like a superhero, you know, right. <laughs> just use your superpowers when you, when you have to. Right, right. The rest of the time, you should just be there to serve humanity, which mm -hmm. in this case would be mu music. You know? Right.
I remember a quote that I heard uh, Daniel Glass told me. He's like, you know, you kind of want to be the guy. You don't want to be the Pinto driving down the street maxed out with your floor, your foot on the gas all the way to the floor. You want to be the Ferrari doing 65, where if you need to step on the gas, you can. But most of the time, you're just you're just cruising along and you're not maxed out, you know. So I agree with the, you know, you got to have the facility. You got to have it there to yeah. use. But, and also, technique is, just, is not just to play fast, you know. Right. Technique is used to 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 extract the best sound possible from the drums, mm-hmm. and to have the best uh, feel, and to have the best uh, time. I mean, all, all of that. Because if technique is getting in the way of what you're trying to do, your time is going to suffer, your touch is going to suffer, your sound is going to suffer. Right. So, right. So technique is not all about just just being fast. Sure. You know? I remember when I was younger playing and, you know, I'm thinking, man, this, this feels good. It sounds good. And then one of my mentors would hear me play and he's like, nah, man, you don't, you don't sound, you don't sound like you're playing music. You just sound like you're playing drums. So I'm going to, I'll put this question to you and this is sort of a deep question. So it may be a little tough to answer, but like, what's your, what's your advice for people who think they sound like they're playing musically, but it's kind of like, you don't know what you don't know kind of thing. You know, and you're like, oh, man, I, I thought I sounded hip. And you're like, no, you didn't at all. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I always say that uh, the dangerous thing is not to be mediocre, but to be mediocre thinking that you're good. Right. Uh, because if you know that you have a lot of stuff to work on, then just work on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bad thing is when you think you have it all together and you don't. So I always say you have to compare yourselves to the gods, you know, don't right. come, don't compare yourselves to the mortals because mm-hmm. that's, that's not a good way to start. If you want to really as, end up as being one, one, uh, two that people will look up to, then you have to start looking up to the real people that have influenced this instrument, that changed the instrument that, uh, that people have always used as reference, you know? So, and those are very easy to identify are the guys recording all the cds or all the lps and you know appearing on um, dvds and blu-rays and uh, on tv i mean those the guys that are working a lot right and and a lot of times it's not the guys doing a lot of the clinics because um, a lot of times the busiest guys on the business don't have the time to do clinics right because they're working playing music Mm mm-hmm you know, so that's another thing to think about. And, and of course, I can't generalize because there's amazing musicians doing clinics as well. Right, right. Um, but a lot of the people that kids come to see at, at drum events maybe are not incredibly qualified to talk about music. Right. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry to say, but... No, that's... It was, just, I, I, I've, it was an I've eloquent way myself, of saying it. You know? and, and the thing is... Uh, like every time I do a clinic, I, I really emphasize music, music, music. You know, let's, yeah, let's play fast. Let's play fancy whenever it's appropriate. And we're not, you know, let, let's see what else we can do. Mm-hmm. And most of the time at the end, that's what people come and, and compliment me about. They're like, man, I really got a lot out of this clinics. Stuff that I can bring immediately to the practice room and, and try to fool with right. instead of talking about groupings of sevens and nines and thirteens and polyrhythms and all this stuff that maybe a couple of people will get it, but probably a lot of people won't. That's mostly for all the drummers in the room. And, you know, if you're at a gig or, I mean, I don't think I've ever played that stuff at a gig, but like if I did, I would say, okay, which drummer out there in the audience knew what I just played because everybody else is just kind of going to look at you and yeah. yeah, and and the thing is, to me, the emphasis is, okay, what are you going to communicate to the audience and mm-hmm. how are you going to do it? So, um, like, I, I talk about soloing and improvisation, right? So I talk a lot about uh, motivic development, how to tell a story. Because, you know, I, I always give this example, too. You know, I'm talking about soloing on the drums and then scrambled decks and, and movies in the afternoon. You know? right. <laughs> it's like, what the hell did you say? So music can be the same way. If you're talking about something by playing an idea and then you, you move to a completely different unrelated idea, it's like if you were talking about soloing and then eggs. So I want to be able to tell a story when I play. So the way to do that is, okay, I play a motif or an idea. I leave space. And then I think, what would I like to hear next? 
right. you know, how, how that, what I just said relates to what I'm about to say again. And, and repetition is key. Leaving space is key. Uh, patience is key. Dynamics are key. Uh, because it's, it's like human language. Sure. You know, when we're talking, we're using inflection, we're using um, uh, dots and commas and periods and exclamation marks and, uh, you know, question marks. Uh, so all these things you should be able to do musically as well. And that's what makes it sound like a language and makes it sound like something the audience can relate to and something I can relate to when I'm saying it as well. Mm -hmm. And I think the biggest problem that, that most people have is connecting those dots. You know, like you had mentioned, you start to play a motif and then you're going to, you're going to start to add some things to that, to what you're saying, add that to the conversation that ties into what you're, you're already talking about. And I think, I think there's sort of a disconnect for some players, maybe younger players, especially that don't really understand how to piece those things together and how to really start and, you know, start an idea and arrive at, a, at the end of this idea three minutes later and make it one cohesive thing. Exactly. But it's not that hard. That's the thing. It's not that hard, but nobody or, or I wouldn't say nobody, but a lot of people don't talk about it uh, right. in clinics where is where you go to for information, you know, but you should go to a clinic and that's fine. But you should definitely check out the source, which is the albums, the recordings, mm -hmm. you know, and you uh, go to YouTube and see how it's done. You know, the, the music tells the truth and and. You know, people that have been around for a long time or that are no longer with us that did it for a long time. Those are the guys to check out because those are the guys who, who uh, you know, we all agree knew how to tell their story. Right. Music. So, uh, you know, that, that the truth is, is in the in the um, albums, I think. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've always told students of mine, this, I just say, listen, go grab a melody, whatever melody it is. Mary had a little lamb or something like that. And just try to play that around the kit because you know a lot of times you'll see people soloing and they're sort of thinking okay what am i going to play next all right i'll play my lick and then i'll mm. play my other lick and then i'll play and then if it goes on too long it's like uh now i'm out of ideas maybe i'll play the, my my lick again but if you take even you know mary had a little lamb you're you're not running out of ideas because you're playing you're not playing licks you're playing musically and i think that's an easy gateway of getting you know into something like take the a train or something you know Absolutely. No. And, and I, I talk about that a lot and I uh, call it the random line concept, which is a game that I used to play with my mother um, when I was a kid that you have two players and a blank sheet of paper. Mm -hmm. So the first player draws a random line really without thinking just by reflex, a continuous random line. Uh, it could be curved, could be straight, anything you want. The, the trick is for it to be random. And then you give it to the next player. And then the next player has to look at it, turn it around, flip it around, see what it could become. And then you grab the pencil and finish it and put a couple of wheels over here. And then all of a sudden you have a little car. You know, it's a really hmm. simple game, but it speaks volumes about how from nothing something was created. So what I always tell in, uh, kids in the clinics too is like, okay, you can literally throw anything on the drums, anything without thinking. You know, don't think, just throw it and then stop. The trick is to remember what you just played. Right. So stop for a second, repeat it. Stop for a second, play it softer. Stop for a second, play it louder, play it slower, play it faster. You know, all these things that all of a sudden you realize that you're committing to that motif, to that idea. And when you do that is when you start talking about the same thing and you start telling a story. First, you have to commit to what you just played. If you say something and then all of a sudden you change your mind and start talking about something else, that's when everybody looks at you weird, funny in the room, you know, when you're talking mm -hmm. to people. But when you're playing, that's a very common thing. You know, your hands play before your brain thinks. And, uh, and that's the advice that I try to give uh, people, you know, don't let that happen. Think. And then, or, or, or play something and then think and then see what that can become. That random line, how can you become, how can you make it become into something tangible sure. and, and concrete? 
that just gave, I, I got chills. I got, you know, it, cause you can feel one, you can feel, I can feel talking to you, the intensity of, of what you're saying and the way that I know that you think that way and approach things that way. And knowing that it's a very, it's a simple concept, you know, of just taking this, this small thing and saying, okay. And it's such a hard thing to sit down and play a line and then repeat it. Like you said, it's not as yeah. easy as people think it is. Oh no, it's you know. way harder. But the thing is, it's a very simple thing that you have to think uh, that you have to change mentally. It's mm-hmm. just a mental switch. And that, that can change your playing for life because I've known many, many very, very proficient musicians in all instruments that never really quite tell a story, never really quite say anything interesting enough mm-hmm. for them to become artists, right. you know, because you can be a, a great craftsman, you know, in your instrument and know how to play all kinds of styles and comp for this and, you know, accompany singers and play for, you know, you can do all kinds of things, be very accomplished and work a lot and, and be musical to a certain extent. But what I'm talking about is the, the next level, you know, really trying to tell a story, try to tell a cohesive uh, story and, and become an artist, not just a musician. You know? Right, right, right. And, and uh, when you talk about, Miles Davis and Charlie Parker and John Coltrane and Keith Jarrett and Pat Metheny, Chick Corea, Herbie Hancock, Wayne Short, all those guys uh, surpass just being musicians. You know, they're mm-hmm. artists, they're right. thinkers, and uh, and they're conceptualists. And, and that's what I want to be. You know, I, I, I want to be one of those guys. If you're not there already, you are well on your way, my friend. I can- well, I'm certainly trying every day, man. So who are some of the cats that you that you're listening to now that that you think fit this mold of of playing really musically and and telling a story? Um, you know, for this kind of stuff, I haven't listened to to drummers that much. I actually draw my inspiration more from other instrumentalists because they are the ones that usually you know, if you if you play lines, like I listen to saxophone players a lot or guitar mm-hmm. players, people that, uh, but piano players too, but people that play single line melodies, you know, that is really, really helpful to really understand. Charlie Parker, of course, you know, one of the geniuses of that, uh, how to, you know, develop an idea and keep going with it. Mm-hmm. And, and I've done workshops with, uh, you know, small combos and stuff like that, where there's a quintet playing and uh, they start playing a standard and everybody's playing just the same tired, regurgitated stuff that is not even that happening. Right, right. right. And immediately I stop them. Like, you know, okay, we're going to play a blues and you're going to play one idea for 12 bars. And they look at me like I'm speaking Chinese. You know? <laughs> and And all of a sudden... After half an hour of trying it, they're way more musical than they've been their whole lives, probably. And right. it's just, it's not because I showed them this incredible secret that nobody knows. It's, it's just, okay, just organize your thoughts a little bit. That's it. You know, it, it gives your playing a sense of organization. That's mm-hmm. what it is. Well, I think a lot of people that I've seen, they get in the trap of, they don't feel like their playing is as hip as it should be. So they're like, oh, I got to practice more styles and I got to practice, you know, I got to learn more fancy stuff and I got to learn all this, you know, all these crazy fills and all that stuff when it's like, man, you learn some melodies with the facility that you already have and you're probably pretty happening as it is. Yeah, but that's where the the artistry part of it comes into play, I think. You have mm-hmm. to believe, okay, if I want to be an artist, am I more worried about imp- impressing other kids uh, that play drums, or am I more interested in saying something meaningful, even if it's just with a few words? You sure. Know? sure. Like a poet, you know, instead of somebody that's just babbling all this stuff, you know, maybe just say, you know, a couple of paragraphs, but man, make those paragraphs mean. Mm-hmm. something you know and, yeah. and and i think that's a lot harder than playing a million notes uh per second and and impressing a bunch of uh kids you know yeah i totally agree man so i gotta ask you've you've accomplished all this stuff i mean you've won grammy awards and been on the cover of modern drummer twice and you've done all of these things so what's next for you what do you see the future holding and what are some things that that you still uh, would like to accomplish well so right now is is my biggest uh challenge ever i think when i'm trying to step full time into the band leading you know realm uh 
because you know, as band, as as side men, uh, we get so used to that life, and that you're just sitting by the computer nowadays, waiting for the email, like, "Oh man, can you do this and can you do that?" Um, and that was really great for many years, and and I learned so much by playing with all these masters that I've been able to play with, but also from playing with so many people. I started realizing mm, there's a lot of things that I love about all these people. And then there's a lot of things that I don't agree with, mm-hmm. even, even with the masters, you know, because they have their own vision and that's why they're masters. Uh, but the fact that they, they have their own vision and it's so um, clear also makes it very clear for me, like, okay, which of those things I, I don't want for, for my own band or for right. my own project. Right. Uh, so, you know, I don't, I, I'm not going to mention names, but you know, sometimes you play with people who are incredibly accomplished, like, you know, great, great, great artists. And, you know, you play the first tune and then we don't know what we're going to play at the second tune. And right. then we start figuring it out on stage and there's a lot of shuffling of, uh, you know, parts and <laughs> charts. And then, uh, Oh, somebody can't find the right one. So, okay, let's play the other one instead. You know, that kind of stuff. I, I just, I just can't stand, you know, right. I, I, I feel like I have too much respect for the audience to, to do something like that to them. Uh, or, you know, amazing artists as well that, um, I don't know, talk to the audience after each single tune, you know, it's, it's just the way they do it. And that's right, fine. Right, right. You know? But I, I don't want to do it that way. So the more and more I, I was playing with people, the more I would feel a little more, uh, a little unhappy on mm-hmm. stage because I, I, I I'll be like, no man, that, that I, I really wouldn't do it that way. Right. And, and of course, who, who am I to say what's right and what's wrong? It's right. just what I would like to do. Uh-huh. Now, if it's uh, your band, it's guys yeah, that you can do whatever you want. My band. Yeah. So what I want to, to do with my band is to, uh, you know, make people just go back home and, saying like what the hell would you see that was that was you know an experience you know right. i wanted to be an experience and uh, an experience it's not really or an event i don't think it it depends on how big your pa is and how many screens you have behind you and how many lights you know because uh, obviously pop music relies heavily on that instead of the music mm-hmm. you know so i want to rely heavily on the music but i want to have a huge impact on the crowd. Right. And, and I've learned that a lot from, from Matheny because he is really uh, keen on trying to provide a show, you know, for, for his audience. Right. And he does it, does it in a completely musical way. He's not messing around, uh, but it provides a different kick in the guts, you know, than <laughs> if you're just kind of shuffling through music and figuring what you're going to play. Sure. You know? So uh, as a band leader, I want to have that kind of impact on the audience, but there's many challenges, you know. First of all, I've always been known as a sideman. Uh, I, I was known for most of the, of the time for playing with Pat, and then this Birdman thing came along and kind of catapulted me into a, a different realm, thankfully. And I, luckily, I was working on two albums at the time. One was uh, Three Times Three, which is a a special all-star project that I wanted to do where I would pay tribute to uh, my favorite kind of trio playing, which is piano trio, guitar trio, and saxophone trio. Nice. So so I enlisted, you know, people that I had either played with a little bit, but I wanted to play more, people that I had played with a lot, but I I mean completely in awe of them still, Mm -hmm. or people that I had never played with. Who are those yeah. inspirations, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, who Who's in the album? Well, you were saying that it was, you know, saxophone trios, guitar trios, well, and piano trios that, that, that were inspir- your inspirations of yours. Yeah, well, you know, the, the Keith Jarrett piano trio mm-hmm. has always been an inspiration with, of course, Jack DeJunette on drums yep. and, and Gary Peacock on bass. Uh, saxophone... <coughs> Well, it was, it was not, well, I mean, Sonny Rollins mm-hmm. uh, playing saxophone trio has always been like unbelievable. And, uh, and of course, you know, the saxophone has always been uh, something that it, it just, I feel it in, in my gut. You know, I just mm-hmm. love tenor saxophone, especially and with the Coltrane right. and, um, 
uh, that relationship between Coltrane and, and Elvin, you know, will forever be something that that we will all uh, regard as as, a, uh, as where the bar was set. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge, a huge inspiration for that. And then uh, you know, West Montgomery, mm -hmm. of course. I love West uh, Montgomery. Um, but I, I always loved uh, you know Pat, of course, John McLaughlin. Uh, of course, uh, Jim Hall. Mm -hmm. So there, there's not a shortage of inspiration in either uh, right. of those contexts. So I wanted to pay, pay tribute to, to those settings. So for the first trio, I had Brad Meldow and uh, Matt Brewer, who's uh, Matt has been playing in my band for a while now. Then for the second trio, I had John Schofield and Kristen McBride. And then for the third trio, Joe Lovano and John Patitucci. Awesome. So I, I, uh, there were three tunes each. Uh, that's why it's called three times three and uh, two originals and one standard each one uh, so that was the first record that i had already in the oven and then the other one i started writing last year and is the meridian suite which is the the last one that i put out and that's with my band migration and this is uh, what i consider my most ambitious project uh, to mm -hmm. date because it's a uh, uh, 56-minute long composition from beginning to end. Wow. It's divided into five different sections uh, because it's, uh, you know, for practical purposes, but it's meant to be played and listened to as a whole. It's one story. And it was my humble attempt at trying to write a musical novel instead of short stories. Right. You know, which is usually what you do in an album. You write eight or nine tunes, and each one lasts between five and ten minutes, and, and that's it. Mm -hmm. So what I wanted to do is, okay, what would happen if I don't worry about time? What would happen if I don't worry about um, style? Just write see what happens you know don't worry if it's acoustic don't worry if it's electric just keep writing and uh and this proved to be like an amazing thing for me as a composer because i was able to uh, bring in most of the influences that i've had through my life you know starting mm -hmm. from rock fusion uh latin music free jazz uh swing uh electric and acoustic all within the same composition but because it's what we were talking about right storytelling is right, because right. i'm trying to tell a, a story from beginning to end then i was able to i feel like i was able to get away with all these things in a musical way so luckily i had those two things in the oven and then when birdman hit these things were ready to go so i put them out and that helped me a lot to to start getting more gigs mm -hmm. um for people to You know, whenever they hear my name now, they, they, they think of me in a different way. And, and, but I want to solidify that. Uh, and I want people to, to really remember me for that, you know, as my qualities as a composer and as a band leader. Because sure. I think like, I, I already proved myself enough as a sideman. You know? Right, right, right. It's cool because it's a new frontier for you and it's sort of turning the page and, and you know, it's a whole, it's like, a brand, a brand new thing for you, a new beginning, which is cool, you know, of, of sort of, oh, re, yeah. of reinventing yourself and, and going into some uncharted water. So I applaud you for that. It's a lot easier to just, you know, keep doing what you were doing. So, and it, it, I got to tell you, it's scary as hell, you yeah. know, because now I'm really, you know, I'm the employer. So it's like, if you're mm -hmm. opening uh, your new business, Uh, you, sometimes you're going to break even, sometimes you're going to lose, sometimes you're going to make. So, uh, but it's all part of, uh, if you believe in your product and mm -hmm. my product is my music and my playing and, and my band. And, and I really believe that we kick ass and, and every time we play, that's what we want to do. We want to kick ass mm -hmm. so that, um, you know, we will get reelected to come right. back <laughs> this year and, 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 and play again, you know, it's, it's basically like Yeah, <laughs> I like how I like the comparison to business because I preach a lot on the podcast about, you know, this this is a business, too. And you have to keep that in mind that if you want to do this professionally, you got to pay your bills. You have to you know, you have to run it like a business rather than as a hobby. That's cool if you want to have a day gig and do this as a hobby as well. But if you're going to do it full time, it's a, it's a business, whether you're, you know, just because you're playing drums, it's still a business. So. Oh, yeah. And it's a hard day. business, man. It's a really It is. hard business. And uh, what started happening to me as a sideman is that, you know, first of all, I started running out of people to, uh, to play with uh, in terms of what I, who I really, really, really wanted to play with. You know, I got to play with 
probably 90% of the people that I really, really wanted to play with. Right. Uh, which, you know, when I look at it, like, wow, that's unbelievable. That's, that's you know? yeah, beyond impressive. Yeah, I mean, it's not a matter of impressive or not. It's just incredible that I got to do it and that this guy from Mexico, you know, all of a sudden was playing jazz and ended up playing with these guys, you know. So to me, that's, that's um, you know, what... what all those people were on my bucket list, you know, I was able to scratch out. And and I, I wanted to play with them because I love their playing, not because like, oh, I mean, let's see who's famous that I right. have. Right, right. It's really because they're unbelievable musicians and I wanted to see what it felt like, you know, what it would feel like to, to play with them. And of course, you know, you're never disappointed when you play with those guys. Mm-hmm. Um, but one thing that started happening is, okay, I, I, who do I want to play with that I haven't? And, and I started saying to myself, well, it's not really that many people. Uh, and I'm really getting the itch to write music. And also, you know, if I'm going to bust my ass traveling all over the world uh, in, you know, and under probably not the best circumstances, who do I want to do it with? Do I want to do it with, with, you know, some guy that called me and that I'm, yeah, I mean, could be a great musician, but uh, am I really learning anything, you know, amazing? And and I thought, you know, I think if I'm going to bust my ass that way, I'd rather do it with my own music. And also, you know, there's all these kids that I was one of them, you know, when I was in my 20s, I was super hungry, that was not charging, you know, much money to to play and to tour the world, which you should do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'm, I'm in my early 40s, so I don't want to be traveling the world for not that much bread. And if I do, then it's going to be with my band. Right. You know, so that's the a very conscious decision that I had to make. And it, like I said, it's scary as hell. But uh, I always believe that in, if you believe in your product and in yourself and, and what you're trying to do, then uh, people are going to react. You know? Mm-hmm. And react, they will. And I love, you know, we mentioned the comparison of business of saying, you know, if I, if you start your own business, I don't mind working for my own business and not making any money, but I'm not going to go. Exactly. I don't want to do it for somebody else because I, at least at the end of the day, it's for, for me and it's going to benefit me in the future, man. So I, I applaud you for, for taking that, for taking that next step. Thank you. Yeah. It's an investment. You yeah, know? And, it totally and, is. It, it, and it's not for everybody. Definitely not. And mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong if it's not for you. Right. Absolutely nothing wrong. If you want to be a sideman all your life, that that's totally cool. Mm-hmm. I just felt like, you know, it's kind of like, I'm, I'm guessing I don't have uh, children, but I'm guessing it's like having a baby, you know, you, you feel like, okay, I think I'm ready for this. Right. Right. You know, the, the time came and, and, and I'm uh, luckily it coincided with Birdman and, and I'm trying to take it to the next level. Sure. Sure. And you know, the, uh, I just lo- totally lost track of what I was going to say. We were talking about babies and <laughs> I got scared about having a baby and I was like, no, I don't want to do that. And, oh, the one thing I was going to say, forgive me, uh, the, you know, I've done over 130 of these interviews. And one of the things that I've pulled out of all of these interviews is there's no one way to get there and there's no one way to do things. And, you know, it's it's OK to do your own thing. Like you said, if you want to be a sideman, be a sideman. If you never want to tour, then don't tour. You know, mm-hmm. if you want to do it, mm-hmm. have a day gig and do this on the weekend, do that. It's sort of like. It's it's your life and you can do whatever you want to do. So not necessarily whatever, you know, whatever you're doing is going to work for the next person, whatever I'm doing, what I do wouldn't work for you. So absolutely. You know, no matter how much how successful you are, you can only tell your own story. Mm hmm. You know, so when people ask you, you know, okay, this is what I did and this is how I did it. Hope that some of it will work for you, Mm -hmm. but it's not a guarantee. And and also, you know, when I started in this business, it was over 20 years ago. So, you know, the realities of our business are completely different now. Like, like they're different, like when Pat Metheny started, you know, and and he would be able to tour 300 days out of the year. Now those realities are not in place anymore. Mm -hmm. So we have to keep adapting all the time to our new realities, which by the way, are incredibly, you know, changing, are changing incredibly violently, you know? Yeah. 
uh, with uh, the music industry, with social media, all these things that, I mean, sometimes I'm like, wow, I don't even know how to approach uh, this anymore. Right. But uh, you, you just have to keep adapting and reinvent, reinventing yourself and hopefully you'll, you'll land with uh, your two feet. You know? Yeah, I totally agree. So listen, I want to be respectful of your time, but I want to ask you if, if do you teach privately and is there, do, do you have private students in New York or no? I don't. I, no. you know, I'm, I'm touring so much nowadays. I, I've done a little bit, but, um, lately, uh, the little time that I have at home, I am trying to use it to, uh, for a composition. Sure. So, because sense. now when, when you're in the band leading, uh, chair, you, you have to start thinking about the next project mm -hmm. and, you know, the ability to tour is going to depend on the music that you put out and how many records you're going to be putting out. Mm -hmm. So a lot of promoters don't want your band if you don't have a new record to promote. Right, right. So, so that's, that's now one more thing that you have to think about, that I have to think about at right. least. And when am I going to release it? And when am I going to want to tour again? And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's quite difficult, but, uh, but I'm also enjoying the hell out of it. That's great, man. That's great. I'm glad to hear that. So if people want to learn more about you, where's the best place to, to connect with you on social and your website? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying to do a little bit of everything. Uh, I have my website, AntonioSanchez.net, mm -hmm. or that's where the meat of the information is. But I'm uh, updating, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, I try to do it on a daily basis. <laughs> it's overwhelming sometimes. It is. Uh, but it's also, I have to... Um, you know, admit that it's a very powerful uh, tool mm -hmm. for us musicians to promote ourselves and to uh, let other people know about what we're doing. Yeah, know? I'm actually doing a, a webinar tonight about it, uh, about the, the changing landscape of the music industry and drums and drumming and how it affects everybody with social media and, and all that stuff. So I, I actually do courses on it to just try to help everybody understand the landscape of how to use all yeah. of those tools because it is, man, it's, it's a little, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, disorienting and, and mm -hmm. disconcerting if, if you haven't done it before, especially, you know, for people, I mean, I, you know, at my age, I think, how old are you? I'm, uh, how old am I? 34. Yeah. So I'm, I'm 43. So I, you know, we, we still know what it was like without internet. Yeah. But, uh, but people that are, you know, a couple of generations after us, um, that are older, you know, they, they, they might really have a hard time, uh, you know, just knowing how to approach things yeah. and how to adapt. I mean, mo a lot of people that can, they hire people to do. Yeah. yeah. But, I, but I think it's interesting uh, to have a direct uh, dialogue with your fans. You I know? think it's great, man. I, yeah. And I think that more people should be taking advantage of it, honestly, because the yeah. power in that, like if people know, you know, like if they know that it's you responding to them. And yeah. know that they're talking to you and not like your assistant or, you know, someone right. that you hired to do it. I think that is extremely powerful and builds so much rapport with the fans that when you see them at the club, they already feel like they know you. And there's just that much more of a connection. I think it's right. I, think it's I, I feel it can also go a little overboard uh, with the self-promotion uh, and uh, with just the, OK, I have to post something every hour. Let me see right. what I can think of. I, I'm, I'm not at that level. I can't right. do it. I, I can't get myself to do it. But if I have a gig or something interesting to say, I, I'll, I'll put it there and right. hopefully people will see it. <laughs> well, cool. <laughs> yeah. So you won't see posts every day from them, but I, I strongly and, suggest everyone goes and connects with you on social, checks out your website. And, and you will not see any post about food. That I promise you, you will no, not see no what I'm picks. eating or what I'm drinking. There you um, go. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not following you then. That's all I was. <laughs> I was hoping to see like what you what your diet was like. That's yeah, all. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people make uh, their it seems like they make their careers based on that, but yeah. no, I, I'm not one of them. <laughs> all right. Well, Antonio, thank you so much for for spending all the time to chat with me, man. Like I said, I've been trying to get you on here for a while. I know the audience has been dying to get. To, for me to get you on here. So it's been an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today, man. Oh, thank you, Nick. Great, great questions, man. And, and uh, you know, big sub for, uh, for your podcast. And, and we need more of that stuff for sure. Well, thank you, man. And anytime you want to come back, man, the, the floor is always open for you. So appreciate it, brother. All right. Thanks again.
Oh, and Nick, uh, before we go, one thing I forgot to mention is that next week, which is October 6th and 7th, Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, we are uh, going to be playing with my band, Migration, uh, at Dizzy's Club, Coca-Cola, and we're going to be doing a, a live uh, webcast, actually, on Tuesday. And, uh, and then we're going to be playing uh, mostly the Meridian Suite in its entirety. And then we're also going to be playing some material from uh, New Life and Three Times Three, my previous two two records. Awesome! So you'll be at Disney's in New York City. What time does that start? I think it's, I think it's like eight and ten thirty, something like that. I, I don't know. It's better if you if you if if you check it out by yourselves. But um, okay, I'll put all the information on the show notes and whoever's listening can just go to drummersresource.com forward slash session one three one and they'll be able to get all the information to check it out. Perfect. Appreciate it. Yeah, man. All right. Take care, man. All right. Bye-bye. So there you have it, Mr. Antonio Sanchez. And for all the links to everything that we talked about during the podcast, you can check it out at drummersresource.com forward slash session one three one. Also, if you want to implement and master the tools used by top drummers to get more gigs, fans, students, and opportunities by learning easy to implement strategies and techniques you can use immediately, check out drummersresource.com forward slash training for over 10 hours of videos in the drummer social media boot camp. Do that today. Until the next podcast. Keep drumming. Thank you so, so, so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. I love you all so much. Peace.